Our reading this morning is an excerpt from the book Lady Bird Collected by Meg Hereford. You see it over my shoulder here. This book is a collection of essays written by the owner of a diner in a small town in Kansas. First, there was pie. The diner was born of and bloomed around pie. Bakers gathered around the big wood block table in the tiny bakery downstairs, where they rolled out and crimped and baked thousands of pies. Crowds streamed in and then flowed back out each day. Recipes were written and refined, money changed hands. Pie held a steady gravitational pull in the center, keeping us on course and anchoring the exchanges. At some point, very quietly, the orbit inverted and turned itself inside out. I can't point to where that happened. I only know that one day Pi was just flying around with the rest of us as we hemmed a core of community and human interaction. When I skirted closest to the core, I began to pluck with no regularity moments from the center, shiny nuggets to look at more closely and reassemble into a broader context. Many of those took place at the diner. Others are from my life outside of it, which is tethered to this place like a moon. I couldn't have known what I was saving them for or that one day a pandemic would halt the swirl, freeze these little time capsules in place for me to collect, compile, and sell to hustle funds for a community kitchen. Here we are. The dining room is dark now, except, and the big woodblock table is dormant. A new pattern of exchange has emerged. Upon collection and rearrangement, the snapshots of who we were and who we've become form a strange arc, really just a beginning and a middle. I'm sorry to say there isn't much resolution waiting at the end of this book. The book itself is the means to its own ending. So says storyteller Thomas King in his book, The Truth About Stories, A Native Narrative. The chapters of this book all have the same structure. Each chapter begins with the same creation story, the story of how the earth floats in space on the back of a turtle. Although each time it is told, it is told in a slightly different way. And following each retelling of the creation story, King repeats, quote, the truth about stories is that that's all that we are. The rest of each chapter is a weaving together of native myths and autobiographical stories of his life as an indigenous person in North America. At the end of each chapter, he instructs his reader to take this story he's just told and do with it what they will, to turn it into a television movie or tell it to friends or simply forget it. But, he writes, don't say in the years to come that you would have lived your life differently if you only you had heard this story. You've heard it now. Stories, stories are powerful. And hearing them often changes how we live our lives. We humans are wired for stories. It's how we make sense of what is happening or has happened to us. We take the facts and our observations and a little bit of imagination to fill in the blanks and create meaning through narratives. Through the telling of our stories, we clarify for ourselves 
the importance and significance of our life's events. And when we witness other people's stories, we build more empathy with them. We can understand better the meaning of their past and current actions, and we can put what we observe about them in a richer context. The sharing of stories is one of the main building blocks of our relationships. Part of developing any relationship is exchanging stories from the past, as well as creating new stories that those in relationships create together. These shared stories create a common bank of vocabulary and worldview that we can draw from to express ourselves to one another. Today, I want to tell you a story about stories, if that's not too meta for a Sunday morning. In Lawrence, Kansas, there is a small diner called the Ladybird Diner. I knew of the diner when I lived in Lawrence and I had enjoyed their famous pie. A year or so after it opened, I began to notice that my friends on Facebook were sharing posts that contained beautiful essays by the owner of this diner named Meg Hereford. The posts would often include a photo, maybe the hands of a customer or an empty bar stool, or a portrait of one of her employees, along with a beautiful rendering of a moment in her day. Hereford might write about a conversation or interaction with a staff member or a customer at the diner. The essays were intimate and engaging and often moving. These essays, these stories, were captured by Hereford's careful and sympathetic eye, and they expressed a deep love of the people she encountered daily. She had created a culture in her diner in which people's stories were welcomed and honored. I loved reading these Facebook essays for their poetic prose and their keen insight into other humans' lives. What I was surprised and pleased to learn through these essays was that the Ladybird was a place where folks who were hungry could get something to eat regardless of their ability to pay. Her essays told the story of a man who regularly came whose mental health challenges made it so that he, quote, couldn't do inside. So she brought food to him outside on the bench in the front of the diner. And the man whose struggles with sobriety meant that he would be absent from the diner for weeks at a time. And the woman who quietly says, I was told I could get something to eat here. Last March, when the pandemic hit, Ladybird Diner, like most restaurants, closed down, but the owner and the staff there decided that they could not abandon the people who depended upon them for a meal, the people whose stories they had witnessed. The first week after the shutdown, it was bag lunches, an easy sandwich for anyone to pick up from the sidewalk in front of the diner. Soon, as word got out about what Ladybird was doing, Donations began coming in, and Ladybird began offering pantry boxes in addition to the daily lunches. The lunch menu expanded into hot meals. An example of the menu for the free community meals includes hoagies and hot soup, pasta with kielbasa or broccoli, taco salad, beef enchiladas. At the diner's website, you could still buy a trucker hat or a tote bag with the diner's logo on it, but you could also hit the donation button 
and help pay for these community meals and pantry boxes. And later, as winter approached, they added a button to pay for sleeping bags for unhoused people. And by the end of the year, the owner, Meg Hereford, had published her essays in a book called Lady Bird Collected, with all proceeds from the book going toward the community meals. Now, I don't know Meg personally, and so I don't know all of what has compelled her to convert her diner into a community kitchen. There's a clue, though, in her book, because one of the essays is called Bad Capitalist. I suspect, though, that the years of witnessing the stories of the people who have passed through her, her diner has expanded her already compassionate and sensitive heart. Hereford's book, The Stories of the People, and the recent activities at the Ladybird Diner have opened other people's hearts as well. The community has responded by not just donating money, but also continuing to buy the pie that is available for carryout and giving money for sleeping bags, hygiene supplies, and books for a little free library. In one of her essays, Hereford writes, I believe in the power of small things and that no matter how callous someone may seem, we are all porous enough to be affected by what we see around us. I never want to overlook the minutia that could make or break someone's day. Every member of the staff has received at minimum one speech from me about how noble this work is, how intimate. Our job is to nourish. We don't ever see how far the ripples travel, but every effort we make matters, never mind how small. I would contend that the efforts of the staff at the Ladybird have not been small and that the ripples will continue to move outward. This, this is one way that our world might become more just. People telling their stories of joy and pain, people witnessing the stories of others, people allowing themselves to be porous enough to let the stories seep into their hearts and minds and to allow themselves and their behavior to be changed. And so I wonder, I wonder whose stories you and I have not heard. Whose stories have we not yet understood enough to let them change us? I wonder if you've ever had the experience like I have of noticing someone behaving in a way that seems inappropriate. Maybe you were even a little judgy about how they were behaving. And then at some later time, you learned about some terrible thing happening in their life and maybe you felt a little guilty about that. Or maybe you've been on the other side of this where you've experienced a tragedy or a trauma and you had to be out among people who didn't know about your experience. The people around you were going on as if nothing had happened and in your world, everything was crumbling and quite likely you weren't behaving the same way you normally would. For those of us who carry some privilege, and most of us do have some kind of privilege, whether it's related to gender or skin color or education or sexual orientation. For those of us who carry one of those privileges or more, it's one thing to understand injustice intellectually, and it's another 
to learn about it through the stories of someone we care about. This has happened to me, and my example that comes to mind is the story of when my sister and her wife needed to go to the hospital because my sister's wife was having a baby. They had to make many extra efforts to allow my sister to be the one named to make decisions while her wife was in the hospital. I would likely not have felt the full impact of the injustice of this without their story. I've been on the other side of it too, when during a conversation with my husband a couple of years ago, he was surprised to hear that I feel a little scared when I'm walking alone at night, even on the streets of our small city. For him, the threat of attack or sexual assault is just not anything that ever crosses his mind. Maybe something similar has happened for you, that you've been the witness or the storyteller. I challenge you today to consider whose stories you need to hear. And I encourage you to seek out those stories. If you're a man, it might mean you need to seek out stories about what it's like to live as a woman in this world. If you're cisgender, you might look for stories about being trans. If you're white, look for stories about living as a person of color. If you have economic privilege, if you are straight, etc. Please do note, this is not an assignment to go to people who do not share your privilege and demand that they educate you because that's not their job. You can use the Google, look for movies, look for documentaries, ask at the library. Justice, the justice we seek, will not happen until those of us with some power help make it so. And we can motivate ourselves to do this work by allowing stories to do their work in our hearts. A couple of weeks ago, I saw on the Ladybirds Facebook page that the free community meals would end on May 14th. When I contacted Meg to ask about using her words, I asked her what was next. She replied that it will take some time to reset the space for a diner instead of a community kitchen and to cobble together the resources that will be needed to make a go of reopening. The future is uncertain, but she's hopeful. This story of Ladybird Diner is one of compassion and perseverance, of rising to the occasion to meet the need for nourishment and connection in a difficult time. You can do what you will with this story. You could make it into a movie or meditate on it or let it motivate you to do good work. You could even forget that you've ever heard this story, but to quote Thomas King, don't say in the years to come that you would have lived differently if only you have heard, had heard this story. You've heard it now. May it be so.